Hi, I'm Alan Sentier, the Heartful Badass Coach. Being badass is about being the real you, being strong, feisty, confident, knowing your own truth and walking it, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, with a heart full of joy and boundaries that really work. I learned how to be the real me through telling and writing stories, and now I'm a best-selling author as well as a badass psychotherapist and coach. I tell stories a lot in podcasts and blogs and in the coaching programs I do. Being authentic, living your own story, that's being the real badass you. And being real badass is being full of heart, caring. Because we've lived through all that shit, haven't we? So we know it in our bones and we really do truly feel compassion. So come on. Let's do some badassery. Let's change ourselves and watch the whole world change around us. Let's make our lives, our businesses and our hearts sing. And as ever, here I am again with my powerful woman of this time, who is a friend, Joan Lind. And I ran into Joan on what to me is one of the best networking groups ever, called Unique Ladies. And if you remember, if you watch Susie Orr's episode, she's the lady who started it. And and Susie introduced me to Joan, who does the most amazing thing, which I now use. And it's a thing called Try Booking. But before we get into that, because you, we really must, because it's so good and so interesting. We were just talking about where we both come from and about London and about going there this last weekend and things like that. And she asked me where I lived. So I said, well, I lived in Clapham for a while and then I lived in Balham. And hand it to you, Joan Balham. <laughs> oh, do you want me to pick up from there? Yeah. Well, it was a little short story. So well, hello, everybody. First of all, thank you to Ellen for inviting me to do this podcast with her it's an absolute treat and um Elle and I have just a tiny chit chat before this so a lot of this is going to be new to her and new to me which makes it a much more interesting hopefully uh, adventure for the next you know few minutes or up to an hour um so look my accent probably tells you I'm not from London um and you'd be absolutely right so I'll tell you my little tale how I ended up in London in Balham where Ellen also started her life in London I started in a in the same place before I moved north of the river but more of that shortly um so look I am first of all the daughter of a minister in the Church of Scotland and we always have a chuckle about that because we used to go camping as a family you know, all over the UK initially, and then when I was older, into Europe, because my father was insistent. He wouldn't take us abroad until we knew our own country, something I'm forever grateful for. Mm -hmm. But we'd arrive at these campsites, and people around the barbecue, so what do you do? Dad would say, I'm a minister. And it would be really funny, because most people got it, but some people assumed he was a political minister, not a religious minister. (laughs) So we always had to, after this first day, I just qualify and say, well, I'm a minister in the Church of Scotland, which means I'm a vicar in England, you know. So um, so dad uh, did his uh, theology in Edinburgh. He was an Edinburgh boy, but his first parish was in the Highlands, which is where myself and my brother were born. So Where I- in the Highlands, she says, interrupting you, because I love the Highlands. 
Yes, well, I do absolutely say I'm a Highlander, you know, because that was my upbringing. And I lived in a place called Bewley, which is northwest of Inverness. So I really am a true Highlander. I'm not one of these Perthshire Aberdonian Highlanders. I am, you know, from near the capital of the Highlands. I was educated in Inverness. So um, so that was that. Um, but my, with both my parents coming from Edinburgh, we went to Edinburgh a lot. I loved Edinburgh. And to be honest, when I was at school, I was bright. I knew what I wanted to do in terms of university. All I knew was it had to be in Edinburgh. <laughs> so, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, particularly apart from go to Edinburgh and then probably travel. So, um, so that's what I did, and I uh, did my studies in Edinburgh. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do, and then I met this lovely woman, and this is now back in the late eighties, and she was a headhunter in London. But she just moved her business back to Edinburgh. She was a Scot. And she set up a new concept of recruitment agency or headhunter. She called herself a headhunter, but same thing. And it was all about interviewing people on their personality, not their skills or their academics, uh, which I completely concur with. And it's a big part of what we do here because it's all about culture and the people we hire have to be a cultural fit first. Mm. That's that later. So she said in that interview, have you thought about advertising agencies? And I went, oh, no, you know, <laughs> being the daughter of the man. So I thought, oh, that's far too frivolous. And, you know, that's not very I'm bringing the world a great deal of, you know. So, But anyway, she sent me off. And because long story short, she started me on a fantastic 25 year career working in global ad agencies in Edinburgh, London and Sydney. And that is what took me to London in the early 90s. And so where were you in Ballam then? So, uh, oh, gosh, are you going to ask me that? <laughs> to the street. I'd have to get a map up. Uh, it was about a 10-minute walk from Ballam Station. Right. Southwest. Very, you know, there's lots of long Victorian terrace streets, aren't there? Yeah. So one of those. Right. So what happened was, I actually, when I arrived in London... One of my mum's friends was a producer at the BBC and she had a flat on the Thames to which she said, send Joan down here and she can base here till she gets herself set up. And it was actually through my advertising friends and there was an advertising guy, this house in Balham, and he let three of the bedrooms out. He was an older guy, like I'd be in my mid-20s and he was probably in his late 30s. So I started there and I rented a room in that place for about, I don't want to say six months. Yeah. But I was working for an ad agency called Young and Rubicon, who were based in Camden. And whilst I didn't mind the northern line up and down between Camden and Ballam, actually, I found a flat in Camden Square, which was walking distance from the Perfect. agency. Yes. Mm. Yeah. 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 No, I, I always stayed south of south of the river um, all the time I was there. But I knew quite a lot of people up in Camden and that sort of area. And um, so, yeah, but I was there for 25 years. So. I got to know London quite well. <laughs> yes, I was there. I was there for ten, and still am because I've still got a base in London where I was at the weekend. Yeah, and bizarrely, whilst I'm in southwest London, it's still north. Well, it's west of the river. It's the north side of the river, but I'm in a little area called St Margaret's, just opposite Richmond on the Thames. Mm. So I get. I, I know that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, so I get to London quite frequently, which I love. Mm. I think I'm probably not so keen anymore now. But it was oh. amazing when I was when I lived there. I just loved it. Yeah, I loved it too. And that's actually I never thought I'd leave. 
because that's then that that's sort of the story into um how I got to be Tribukin because I, I went was at Young and Rubicon from 1990 to 1994. And I was running um, accounts like Colgate Palmolive Ooh. and uh, all sorts um, and UIP films. Mm. And I got headhunted um, and a lovely ad agency called AMV, which is a really well-known agency, had just won the British Telecom account. This is in April 1994. And I got headhunted there to staff up. And that was just an amazing shift change and actually I could still have been at that agency because it was just fabulous but I'd always wanted to live overseas so you went overseas I did where I went to Sydney in Australia at this very start of the millennium so I resigned from my post in London in the August of 99 and worked my three-month resignation and then on the 4th of January 2000 arrived in Sydney to work with MNC Saatchi and I was there for 13 years yeah 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 and how did you like Australia because I've got friends down there and I've never actually visited them yet but you need to so are your friends down there British European or other um Yes. <laughs> um, one of my best friends is um, a black guy from New York who runs yeah. a, a super business coaching um, agency, a lot of it online and a lot of it in East Asia. And he lived in Sydney for a long time, most of the time that I knew him, which was about 20 odd years. And then he moved up north to Cairns, and he's been up there for just about a year. And oh, nice! See these pictures, and it's sort of like, oh, <laughs> beautiful part. Mm. And uh, I've got another friend, and I can't remember the name of the cities now. Down in the south, Melbourne. Uh, sorry, Melbourne. Um, no, I haven't got, I don't know anybody in Melbourne, but south, south in the middle, um, Australia sort of goes around the corner, up in the middle, and then down on the end, and it's sort of about there. Adelaide? Adelaide, yeah, 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 friend there, and um, couples sort of spotted around the place, and they keep saying, when are you coming? And so far it has been not yet, but I really... Well, get on oh, that oh, I can... <laughs> I'm, going to show, I'm going to show you something. That right. all, well, you this, are when I te- when I let you share the screen. There you go. Oh no, you don't need to share the screen. All right. I don't need to share the screen. I'm going to put it up on my phone. So, having lived in the city for 13 years, you can imagine I've got lots of European, British, and Aussie friends. Well, if I was to tell you, these pictures were sent to me this very morning from my girlfriend, who's Aussie. And she's taken a year out with her new husband. Her, her first husband died very tragically and very unexpectedly five years ago. And she had a little girl. And she's since remarried. And they've taken a year off just to circumnavigate the whole of Australia. How lovely. And this was them this morning on a beach on Western Australia with nobody else on it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Isn't that- Phenomenal. Isn't that just so glorious? And the blue. Not another human being. No. Not another human being on it. And then if I scroll up, um, the look, there you go. That that's them in the sea. Nobody else in sight. Yeah. 
So that is the thing. So I I can't encourage you enough to go. That's the first thing. I know two camps of people. The camp both, and particularly in Britain and Europe, the camp of people say, oh, I'm not interested in Australia. It doesn't really do my thing. There's so many more interesting places. And of course there are. I don't disagree. And there's the other camp that go, oh, I've always wanted to go. I'd love to go. And I've met people from both camps in Sydney and in Australia. And both camps always love it. Yeah. Ones that think they're going to love it, love it even more than they could have possibly imagined. And the ones that thought they wouldn't go, I had no idea it'd be like this. It's so much more than I was expecting on every level. So I've yet to meet an unhappy visitor. Well, that's what I've found from my friends. And and one Australian friend who now lives in Bangkok, for goodness sake, but, you know, that's fine. Um, And they're all, it's the sort of people they are, which is so nice as well. And they're all very open. Yes. Um, yes. They're very pleasant to be with and have strong opinions and strong attitudes, maybe, but then in no way that they're, they're okay with it. And they're okay if, you know, I sort of say, well, actually, I'm not quite sure about that. And they go, that's fine. And um, you so often get people who try and talk you into their way of speaking. And certainly the people that I've met in Australia, they haven't. They've sort of said, oh, well, you know, we disagree. That's fine. And um, and they're quite happy to leave it. So, yes, I'll have to get on that plane somehow or another. <laughs> I would highly recommend it. And the nicest time to go, I think, is February, March, April. So the end of their summer coming into their autumn. Yeah, that would be it for me, really, because I can't do the heat um, of summer. At no. all. Uh, also, I, it'd be very I, wet. Mm, mm, yeah. You know, it, it, it can be very, very wet. Mm. So and uh, very, very hot. Mm. And as you've seen on the news, this when they're prone and that to, to the terrible fires or the terrible floods. Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. they've been spared. You know, I've had some terrible floods recently, but thankfully they've been spared those horrendous fires 2019. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I sort of feel that that time of year will be the best time for me. And I've got another friend who's just come back from um, a month there. And so and she really enjoyed it. So it's all it's all happening all around me. But when you were there, this is how you got into this amazing try booking thing. So what happened? So I'll tell you what happened. So I, was, I arrived in 2000, single, career girl in my early 30s. And that was the way I always imagined to be. I, I didn't have any big desire to have kids or be married. But then I met my English husband through mutual friends, not actually in Australia, but as in that hiatus between me deciding I was going and actually going, we met at a joint wedding. Uh, and it's him that's brought me back to the Lake District in particular. Um, so what happened was Henry and I met, um, and then we really hit it off when I moved to Australia. We got engaged a year after I arrived. We got married a year after that. And I had a baby in 2004. So I've got two Aussie children. So I was a busy working mum because I was running brands that you would all know at MNC Saatchi, British Airways, Qantas. Audi. I worked with Rupert Murdoch's 
for my sins. Um, <laughs> and I saw all sorts of interesting adventures. And I was a busy corporate working mum. Mm. And if I'm honest, I never thought I'd leave Australia. <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, but then my mum died very suddenly mm. in Edinburgh. Just as I was about to give birth to our second child. And I'd always been, I could jump on a plane at lunchtime in Sydney and be back in Edinburgh for breakfast. Mm. Um, but this all happened at a time I couldn't jump on a plane. And because I was having a baby, I had to wait 12 weeks for her passport. So it was actually almost three months after my mother's passing that I actually got back, which was like, whoa, you know. Yeah. And there was lots in place. So I was able, we did lots of really interesting things because mum was the way she was. She'd actually written out her funeral service. So it was an absolute gift because I was able to have that in Sydney I was at my church in Sydney at the same time as her funeral was happening in Edinburgh so that was a gift mm. and Henry's my husband's mum had uh, battled cancer most of her adult life brilliantly and she got another tumour in 2012 and we thought you know we've already lost my mum we are when it comes to things like this you are a long way from home mm. so we just bit the bullet we're both in our mid-40s and we just bit the bullet and said, it will all work out, but let's just get back and be there for them. And we didn't know how sick Henry's mom was going to be. So we made the decision in October of 2012, and we'd moved back here wholesale by the April of 2013. Now, in that process, because we knew we went, do we go back to London, where our professions are, where we've got a little house, where we can start again? Not really. I'm not sure it was great for the kids. Mm, yeah, yeah. Do we go to Edinburgh? Where my fa my father's close to, um, and that was a serious contender. Or do mm -hmm. we come to the Lake District where Henry's parents were, but we knew we could help them, you know, the most. And and it seemed the right, it absolutely seemed the right thing to do. We thought it would be the easiest for the children as well. Yeah. So substitute beaches for fells and lakes, which yeah. has worked really well. Yeah. So that's what we did. So in the process of that move, which only took us six months, we're going. What do we do in the Lake District? <laughs> Well, yes. <laughs> what do we do with our not do what, what do we do? There's lots of lovely things to do, but what do we do with our skill set in the Lake District, which is not there's not a lot of advertising agencies and there's not a lot of global telecommunication companies in the Lake District. So we thought with our skill set and our experience, what do we do? Um, and that's where Trebooking came in, because I was using Trebooking to book all my tickets in Australia. So it was wow. school concerts, it was charity events, it was business events, it was sports clubs, you name it. And I just loved it because I, you know, leave work quite late. I, you know, I didn't leave the office till about seven, and I'd have all the emails in my inbox from schools or whatever or charity fund raising event, and I just go click, 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 book and pay my ticket. And by the time I got off the ferry, I had my tickets in my inbox and didn't have to worry about it again. Yeah. Yeah. No forms to fill in, no cash to have to manage. It was just all done. Yeah. So it was actually, I used to um, you know, rave on about it. And it was actually Henry, my husband, said, that Tribekin thing you really like. So I've had a look into it and it's a cloud-based business. I said, and what does that mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is back in 2013. Yeah. Said, what it means is you can run it from anywhere. I said, okay, oh, that sounds interesting. And he said, you've got all the skills for it. I said, yeah, well, I do like it as a platform. So I wrote a good old-fashioned letter to the CEO in Melbourne and said, this is my background. This is my experience. Um, I have no idea if this would interest you or not, but I'd be interested in having a discussion about launching this platform in the UK. And I got a phone call within a week 
and we had a meeting within the following week in Melbourne and uh, we agreed a setup, which means I run the British company. It's a private limited company. I'm listed on Companies House. We do all, we run the business um, as we see appropriate and fit for the UK market and our UK customers and uh, including re-engineering the pricing strategy and uh, I run it here and we have a wonderful relationship with Australia where we're real partners. Yeah, yeah. And this is how I found you because there you were talking about this thing and I am one of those people who's never really got on with Eventbrite. I mean, I use it because, you know, there's a ticket for something that you want and that kind of thing. And I tried it for some of my own stuff. Oh, this is really hard work. And I'm not quite sure what to do about this. And there wasn't anybody to ask. And um, it was sort of you put onto these pages full of instructions and that had already tangled your brain before you even started. So, you know, I don't need any more of that. I just want a person. And uh, so it was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. And then there's Joan. And of course, I'm like, what? What? What's she got? (laughs) And so I got involved. And you know, I'm just going to crow about this for a moment because I had no idea what I was doing, but I had an event that I wanted to run. So um, I sort of got in there and messed about with it and got started. And I thought, no, I need a person. Oh, my God, there's a phone number, which is, I mean, you all know what that's like at the moment. You just don't see phone numbers. So I thought, I'll ring it. God knows where I'm going. And I get this lovely, um, I think Lancashire lass. Yeah, not me, I hasten to add. Well, it was not Joan, Lang- lovely Lancashire lady. And she said, okay, my dear, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And it was like, oh, breath of fresh air. Mm. Because within, and she stayed on the phone with me for nearly an hour. And it was all sorted. And that is what I call customer service, which takes us back to what you were talking about, cultures and things like that. And, you know, now it's like, well, if I'm going to have an event or something like that, then I need try booking. I'll book it on there. And I don't have to think about it. I can attach it to my website. I can do this, that, and the other thing with it. And it's there. And it's the culture thing. And we were talking about this on Unique Ladies last time, weren't we, about how hiring people for the culture makes a difference. You do this, don't you? Do you know, this is one of the most valuable lessons I took out of my advertising career because I, I was very blessed. I worked for three incredible agencies, all of them quite different, but all of them incredible in their own way, full of brilliant, inspiring people. But all of them had one thing in common. They all recognized that they didn't have factories that produce widgets. They didn't have products to sell. Everything about their organization was in the people within the organization. So where the ideas were coming from, where the management's coming from, where the project management was. So they recognized all of their and capital was going up and down in the lift every day. So it was all about people. And um, I was very involved in the graduate recruitment process at AMV in London and at MNC Saatchi. I was very involved in the recruitment because it, the other thing is ad agencies don't have HR departments. They may well do now. Uh, and I've not been in advertising now since 2014, 2013, sorry, 2013. 
Um, and I, I imagine a few of them do have HR departments, but everybody was so good at putting their people first. They almost didn't need them. Mm-hmm. You know, people were yeah. very well managed um, and uh, and culture was absolutely one. And every agency has got its own different cultures, but they'd hire by culture because you wouldn't get, if you were of the wrong culture, it wasn't going to be great for you and it wasn't going to be great for them. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about finding people that un- that we think are culturally going to be a strong fit and add to the culture that's there. Yeah. And we've got all sorts of different, I mean, I, I'm delighted. I've just hired my most recent hiring and she's been, this is now our third week. She's an American. She's from Philadelphia. She speaks like Michelle Obama and she looks like Whitney Houston. She's absolutely beautiful. Wow. You know, so she's got another whole amazing culture of her own to the organization. But first and foremost, she had to be a good cultural fit with us and us for her. Otherwise, she's not going to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that we did was we do with everybody we hire is we give them at least one day of what we call um, just a not training day, but it's a trial day. And then, because as you know, if you're interviewing a company, you're interviewing us as much as we're interviewing yes, you. Yes, that's something that's really important. It's too. really important. You're interviewing yeah. us. So is this what we want? And I often say to people, look, this is our offices. This is what we're all about. This is the whole team. And it'll either be for you or not. And come and do a trial day and you'll know by the end of it. If it's... So this lady didn't just come for one trial day. She came for three. Woo! <laughs> you know, because it was such a shift change from her, yeah. anything else she'd done. Yeah. And I said, I want to make sure you really understand, you know, just what we're about. And if you're here for three days, then you'll get a, you'll get a really good cross reference to what a normal week looks like. And that's what she did. And she she loved it. Oh, that's it. You see, I think that's so important. I was talking to a couple of people last week and they were talking about uh, corporate. They're, but they're all in um, the branding side of, of our vague industry. And um, they were talking about how they'd been in corporate before and how they had they really didn't feel listened to they felt as though they were supposed to sort of squidge themselves into the company's box mm. even if it didn't fit them and that if they sort of said well how about we do so and so like this it was like oh no we've always done it like this ah oh, ah oh, you've touched on a topic i'd like to come back to Please let's set it off because that was part of my idea because I think it's just vitally important that this sub- subject comes up. <laughs> yes, that whole thing about, oh, we don't do it like this. We've always done it like this. Can I say, back to the Australia point, when I got back, and it still happens today, people say, oh, you must miss Australia. You must miss the weather or the beaches. I go, no, no, no. Clearly it was beautiful weather, beautiful beaches. But the thing I don't, I like British weather. I like the change of seasons. We have beautiful beaches here, you know. Um but the thing I miss the most, and you touched upon it, Ellen, the thing I missed the most is the lack of the reserve that we have here. I had totally forgotten about this great British reserve, which manifests itself in so many different ways. And you've just identified one. Oh, we don't do it like that. We always do it like this. We've always done it this way. You know, so they've been able to bring on new ideas and try new things. The Aussies, the Asians, lots of other cultures are great at it, but we're not. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's this, and both of these uh, women that I was talking to, they're both living in America in different parts of it. And they say they have that problem there. Yes, that, I think that's absolutely right. And that it is such a hindrance because it actually stultifies the company. Yes. 
and somebody can't bring in a, a new idea and if somebody's just sort of one of your team is just saying well you know how about we do it like this instead and if nobody's ever tried that before how is anybody going to know whether exactly. it's exactly not exactly and it it needs that kind of opening up yes and that's and that's one of the joys of starting a, a company like this because mm. we're constantly i've got within my team i've got a 19 year old soon to be 20 student he's got a brain the size of britain he's absolutely fabulous boy and he's all sorts of ideas and i've said run with them there's a, a couple that said no we're not going to run with that but on the whole he gets to run with them mm. and he sees how they play out yeah. so he had one idea and he didn't quite get the results he hoped for and i said yeah but it was worth trialing but we now we know and we thought that might happen but that's not the point we've now done it and you've now got you know so you know within reason i mean i don't let people go off they've got to be on brand and yeah. but absolutely i invite new ideas and new things to test from my team all the time yeah 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 and it's funny because i'm i'm going right back as i said you know i lived in london for 25 years for ages and i absolutely ages it felt like and i worked for the ministry of defense now you yeah think the Ministry of Defence um, would be very stultified and stuck and jammed in. And, you know, maybe some parts of it are. I didn't find that very much. That's and I was in charge, I was a software boffin, software engineer. And in, I ran a team and of, you know, people, coders and um, admin staff generally and people who just generally looked after our paperwork all sorts of levels and people and we worked as a team in those days and a lot yeah. of people did and so you've got a problem and you know somebody come back oh ellen you know so and so got so and so coming in and it, they're really upset about such and such and la 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 and all this sort of stuff and so, well if you tried something no nothing works okay so, so heads up everybody table and um because we had a, a big table in the middle of we had an enormous room that we were all in and you'd always get one of the coders who said give me 10 give me 10 i can't stop which if you know anything about programming and coding you can't <laughs> He's sort of like, no, not now. Uh, right, we'll put the coffee on. And 10 minutes later, the person would come and get around the table and say, look, this is the problem. We've got so-and-so happening and it's such and such and they've got this deadline on. Ideas, people. Come on. Let's imagine we're on Mars. How are we going to do this? And the ideas would come from everybody, you know, including, you know, we had a, um, a young lassie of sort of 16 who looked after all of, we had lots of paper files in those days, and she looked after all of our paper files for us. We couldn't have done it, but she was brilliant at it, and she came up with an idea which was perfectly workable, but it so worked. And I gather that not that many people in big corporates do that kind of thing anymore. What is your experience? Oh, well... Gosh, I'd like to think they do. I mean, that was the whole epicenter of an ad agency culture. You know, I, I I've always been a team player. So when I was at school, um, I always was you know the team sports. I wasn't the swimmer or the tennis player. I was the basketball or hockey. You know, I was always a team, and that's why I love about advertising. It was all about team. Mm -hmm. And I often get asked by corporate clients, 
would I go the other side and become a client? And I'd always say never. And they go, why not? Is it shorter hours? You get paid more? I said, maybe so. But what I love about working for ad agencies is that the whole team at the ad agency are in the boat rowing in the same direction. Yes. Because we're all about getting the best ad campaign for you as a client and your customers. Whereas on the client side, I used to see so many different agendas. The head of marketing might want one thing. The head of sales might want another. And the CEO might want another. And the new marketing manager might want something else. So a big part of that was bringing all those agendas and people together to be united around the vision that the agency had for them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've seen it in different ways. And I think it depends what type of organization you're in. Mm. But I, I, I think no matter what organization you're in, that kind of team spirit has to has to shine through. Otherwise, corporates just don't exist. Well, that's my feeling. So, I mean, I'm solopreneur now, so I, I haven't got people working for me. I've got people I outsource to, but it's not it's not quite the same, although it still is a team thing in that sense that the, the man who looks after all my podcast stuff sort of says Ellen have you done such and such have you sent me such and such have you done this sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah okay John I'm just doing it now you know <laughs> and it it all happens but it's really I would hate to work in a company where you couldn't ask everybody and actually even go back to the the senior bosses and sort of say look I know you want to do this but it's just not going to pan out. It's just not going to happen. How are you going to change that? And we could do that. Could go back and sort of say, it's, you know, we can't actually make black white. You know, how are we going to do this? And what would you like to do about it? And it's all much more connected and collaboration. Mm-hmm. How do you see? Well, I am, I mean, I run a quite a small company compared to the ones that I came from, but certainly collaboration. I've got another little phrase I use a lot, and I saw it a lot last week. There are a couple of team members on holiday, and there's some new team members, and I said, you know, always delegate upwards. Mm, yes. Delegation is not just a downwards thing. And again, that came from my world in advertising. You know, I'd much rather know about a problem that we could solve when it's this size, yeah. rather than about it when it's this size. You know, so I'm a big, big believer in upward delegation and solving problems when they're small and not when they're too big. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so I, um, you know, we work with lots of different clients every day of the week, from businesses to charities to schools to choirs to festivals, um, and on the whole, I, I'd like to think us we still see lots of good collaboration. I mean, I think there's certainly some organisations are more siloed than they need to be. And I do see discussions with certain sectors where it's like we need to break down the silos to make things happen. Mm. And I don't know if COVID has contributed to that with everybody working from a more, you know, um, not from a central point. But I do think that's COVID's probably not helped that cause, you know, in terms of oiling communication. If people are all working virtually and separately, and yeah, it depends how that was handled. At least I would imagine so, because uh, I mean. Most of my communication, I live in the back of beyond in Shropshire, and most of my communication with people that I work with has to be through this, through yeah. through the machine or through the phone or something, because they could be, you know, 
30, 40, 50 miles away, or they could be 500 miles away or across, across the ocean or something like that, which some of them are. And so I think a lot of it depends on how you're handled and how you handle the whole thing. And my um, woman that I'm working with marketing, and she's, in, she's in Portugal. She lives in Portugal. And um, we have meetings across and we WhatsApp each other and this sort of thing to get things going. But we keep the communication going. Maybe people didn't always keep the communication going. Yeah, that's that's vital. Mm. No, and since you're talking about Zoom, you know, I've been using Zoom since 2014. Yeah. And I'm so that's one of the big upsides for me from lockdown because I say we say to clients, you know, rather than just doing a phone call and yeah. we can't see what you're doing at the other end, jump on a Zoom and we'll take over your screen and we'll show you. Yeah. Well, before, before the pandemic, very reluctant. People were very reluctant to do that. And now, of course, oh, great. Yeah, we'll jump on a Zoom. And it means that they get to solve the problem even quicker. So I think there's definitely the upside, but I think there's still no substitute for having people round a table and all seeing the whites of your eyes together. It, it is lovely. And you get a whole, you get a lot of feel from that. And it's very, very immediate. Whereas a group of people on a screen may not feel quite the same to most yeah. people at all. But what are you, where are you in the lakes? And what do you do when you're not running try booking? <laughs> So, so where I'm speaking to you from right now is our head office, which is actually in Kendall. So I, I'm very proud of the fact I've bought a national um, cloud-based digital platform to the Lake District. I really am. And actually, I had, we had a meeting this morning. A lady just popped in. So we don't often have people just popping in. It's not that kind of office. Yeah. But this lady popped in. She'd heard about us, and she was fantastic. And she just she's a Kendalian, but she spent many years overseas. And she wanted to use this for quite a few different things. So that was just wonderful. Um, so, but I live, so this is where the head office is, and I live in a field in a lovely part of the Lake District, about 15 minutes max from here. Yeah. And it's on it's on the River Kent, which is the river that flows through Kendal and out to Morecambe Bay. And I'm in a beautiful area. So one of the main things I do when I'm not at try booking is be with my family yeah and and my daughter of 15 and my son of 19 um who's currently not in this country we we're talking about that earlier he's um he's back in sydney yeah. uh, and my husband and we love to walk mm. we've got amazing walks right from our doorstep yeah, yeah. But my daughter I, i'm not a horsewoman at all in fact i was positively allergic to them <laughs> Positively allergic to them. And but next door to where we live, our 10-minute walk, it's a fantastic stables. And my daughter's just got a complete, she's a complete natural with animals and she adores horses. Mm -hmm. So she has this wonderful freedom. So we've now we now get much more involved with horses. So I spend a lot of time, for example, two weekends ago, I was creosoting 20 jumps in a hunter trials field. <laughs> and my lockdown skill was to learn to load and tow a huge animal and ferry it up and down the country, not quite up and down the country, but certainly up and down counties. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a skill set which I still can't quite believe I've mastered because it's a bit terrifying to tow a big live animal. Yeah. Uh, really, I feel a huge amount of responsibility. Mm. Um, I love cooking. I love music. 
so I you know get down to London or Liverpool or up to Glasgow, Edinburgh, um, as often as I can to a bit of a city yeah. music or theatre. But yeah. love cooking. So my husband and I are both equally handy in the kitchen. Did you fight over it? We don't fight over it, but we delegate it beautifully. You'll see, I'll do this and I'll do that. I say, okay, you're on. Occasionally I have to ask him and occasionally he has to ask me, but on the whole it divides very nicely. That's lovely. And our kids are the same. Our kids love cooking. In fact, our daughter applied for the junior bake-off during lockdown and got through, wow. to, got through to that round three, having interviews with Love Production. Wow. So we can often all be in the kitchen, all doing different things at the same time. We're all, we all love our food. Mm, yeah yeah I can imagine that and I mean Kendall and the Lake District have got some lovely food around them and we are very spoiled amazing. we really are very spoiled with foodies things from from things like booths which I'm delighted are a client of try booking but wow yeah they use us for their in-store events they just had a whole load of coronation teas in store (laughs) on Saturday afternoon um and but you know I'm, I'm Got beautiful booze, literally with the shutters. Got booze here, but also the artisan producers and the restaurants were very spoiled. They are. Yeah, 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 they are beautiful. I I haven't been to the lakes for a long time now, but I I had friends at Lancaster University um, in in the past, and we used to come up for walking and to see them and everything. And even then, it was absolutely amazing the food. Mm. And it was also, it is such a beautiful place. Oh, it really is breathtaking. Mm. And it's because I'm an entrepreneur in residence at Lancaster University. Yes, what is that? Oh, it's lovely. Oh, it's lovely. It's an opportunity. You get to engage directly with the students. So essentially the entrepreneur in residence programme is run out of the management school. So Lancaster University Management School looms. Mm. And it's the whole idea that, yes, you come and do your business degrees or your MBAs and you've got all your academics, but actually they don't really touch, unless they're doing work experience mm. or jobs, they don't get an opportunity to touch with business people or business owners or business founders in particular. Mm. So they started this program quite a few. I mean, I've been part of it now for six seven years mm. and it started quite a bit before then so let's say it's been around for well over 10 years Mm. and it's one of the preeminent programs in the world I mean I think I even think it's bigger than Warwick's it's more connected than Warwick's business school um so essentially it's the university have um recruited is probably the only word but met up with and um found entrepreneurs that can give time to students, be that giving lectures, be it giving them work experience, be it involved in research. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably do one student interview a month. So a student will write to me and through the program and say, I'm doing a research piece on this. Could I interview for half an hour and ask this, this and this? And we of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, the bit I love is going into the university and, you know, being invited to speak on panel discussions or give lectures and allowing them to ask lots of questions you know and I give life and what I love about it more than anything is beyond the business thing is giving them life lessons because one of my one of my biggest life lessons from a university lecture was about life it wasn't about the academics yes yeah I agree with you it was for me too and um it's it's so different when you're talking to people who are 
out there actually doing it as well than it is when you're talking to people who have academic degrees and are thinking about it in a non-practical way because the actual theory and the practice both are vital but you do need to have both and you've got to mix them together and if you're actually talking to someone who's doing it and they can sort of say oh well you know the the, the format for this is la 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 sort of thing and you go yes but what happens if so and so and you can set them off can't you and yes. get them to think new ideas yes yeah i know it's wonderful so that's what it is it's like bringing entrepreneurs and business into the university yeah giving them you know students exposure to these people yeah i think that's absolutely wonderful i wish there should be a whole lot more of it mm. joan have you got anything particular that you want to say about try booking because I oh I think you've said it all beautifully already <laughs> well I really think everybody ought to have a go at it and I mean it is this is a British company it is and I, so that's what I would say I say we're a British company you're you know rather using an American platform of which there's many out there and Ellen's already mentioned one uh you know it's a British company we host our data in the UK so you're data secure I've just had an email just before I came on this call with Ellen I had an email from a new charity that's looking for it to work with us and they're asking all the right questions about our data policies mm -hmm. um so you'll have all your data held security so you'll be Brexit as well as EU regulation compliance yeah um as Ellen said, we 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 love because the platform is easy to use and mm. it's incredibly flexible and it's great. And without it, we wouldn't have a business. But yep. the core of our business is our customer service. Yeah, and because we wouldn't have the we wouldn't give the platform without the customer service. And the reason for that is many. And Ellen struck upon a couple. You know, events can be scary. So we want you to be able to have access to a human being to get the reassurance that you need yeah. or to solve the problem that you're trying to solve quickly. Mm -hmm. But also we'd be very boring. It'd be a very boring existence if we didn't get to speak to our customers. So we love it. So we we really do. We've got a really thorough learning center. We recognize that everybody wants to speak to people, mm -hmm. which is why we have lots of other tools in place. But for those people that do like to speak to people, we're absolutely here at the end of our phone. And there's none of this press one for this and press two for that, you literally will get a human being answer yeah. the phone as your phone. Yeah. I mean, that was what was so stunning. And I sort of picked yeah. it up and I was expecting the usual sort of half hour before you get anywhere near any, a human. And it, there was one immediately. And it was just so delightful. Yes. And we're known for that. So I would say if you're running any type of size of event yeah. or course um, and you're doing it all manually, because you think you're saving money, well, you're not, because you, you absolutely won't be. I can tell you that now for lots of different reasons. Mm. Um, and you're, you're a bit nervous of new technology, please don't be. Yeah. I mean, all I'd say, I say to many people, have you all got an Amazon account? Most people go, yes. I go, well, TriBooking is much easier to navigate than Amazon. And it's like <laughs> Amazon. You open up an account and you just, you only pay us as and when you sell tickets. Yeah. And we've got incredibly low and transparent fees. Yeah. And uh, that haven't been raised over the last two years, like most, like everything else. We've kept ours as they were in 2014 when we launched. Yeah. Um, so, yes, please come and, and ask any questions you have. Yeah, please do, because I've, I was just amazed at how easy it is. And um, I just love it. And also, you actually feel as though you make friends when you talk to people. 
you know, you got so say, oh, hello, yeah, I spoke to you the other day. You know, yeah, yeah. that's right. Oh, you're doing so and so, aren't you? And you're so recognised, and you just feel so heard. And do you know, Ellen, I've had on quite a few occasions clients say to the team and to me, "Gosh, are we your only client? We feel like you're very your only client because you know who we are." And when we last called, you've remembered. <laughs> I said, well, I'd love to say yes, but we wouldn't have a business if you were on the client. Exactly. <laughs> if you want good service and you want it easy and you want to get your tickets and your event and almost anything about your event, including, you know, emails afterwards and email follow-ups, email beforehand, all of this stuff, it's easy. Thank you. It too. really is. And also... Thank you for being on, Joan, because your life is amazing. Oh, well, I think everybody's lives are amazing. and I, I do. I do. I think, and one thing, if I was going to leave you with something, I do think, look, life's too short and the world's too small. So if you want to go and discover new experiences or new people or new countries, get on and do it because yeah. we all, I mean, gosh, if, you know, so much has been going on recently with unexpected people leaving this planet. Yeah. well before the time and i i just think you know with the two years of lockdown have shown us that life really is too yeah. short it really is it's go for it and do it yeah. Yeah. so thank you joan and on that note we will leave it all here and all of joan's connections and contacts and everything will be in the show notes show notes so you can get in touch and wonderful thanks ever so much joan Thank you. Thank you. It's been really kind. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Well, hey, I hope you enjoyed that. Hope it pulled out some new ideas and new ways of looking at life, the universe, and everything. And I'd love to know your comments, so do send them to me. Doing and being badassery is fun. It makes your heart sing, and that helps everyone and it helps you put the soul back in your life and in your business. Business, when it's really working, is fun, full of badass reality and makes your heart sing. So let's stick all those rubbish old work ideas of toil and drudgery in the compost caddy. Let's recycle them into something fun and useful. That's what badassery is about, having fun and being useful. If you'd like more, get on my website www.ellensentier.com Sign up for my newsletters and check out my lives and vlogs. Let's get to know each other. Let's get together, have fun, grow your life and make your heart sing. Let's be real. Come on, let's light our fires. Mm -hmm.